Welcome to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin, and today you are listening to part one of my interview with Ruben Gonzalez. Ruben is a four-time Olympian in the luge. He's a keynote speaker, best-selling author of the book, The Shortcut. He's a TEDx speaker and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy part one of my interview with Ruben Gonzalez. Life is all about relationships, and great leaders heavily invest in those relationships. On the Relationships and Revenue podcast, we talk about how to improve our most significant relationships at home so we can be better in our business relationships. We talk with experts from all over the world representing many disciplines about the best tips and strategies to become amazing people and amazing leaders. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin, as always. Thrilled to have each and every one of you with me today. And as you heard from that fantastic introduction, I have the one and only four-time Winter Olympian, Ruben Gonzalez. Ruben, how are you, my friend? I am great, thanks. It's great to finally connect. So was Leah the, the person that told you about me? Leah? Uh, believe it or not, it wasn't Leah. I found you on my own. Oh, okay. All right. Because yeah. whenever we're on a podcast, we share each other too. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Leah, amazing person. Love, love, love Leah. So good. Um, in fact, she's working on another book right now. So I'm, I'm excited to read her new book when it comes out. Wonderful. Yeah, she's a great person. For sure. Now, folks, you heard Ruben talk a little bit about himself. He did say he is a four-time Olympian. You heard that right, four-time Olympian. Now, Ruben, what makes you unique is that you're not just a four-time Olympian. You're an Olympian in four different decades. Yep. I'm not... How does something like that happen? That's <laughs> humongous. I mean, that's wow. Well, my, my first Olympics was in 88, Calgary 88, mm -hmm. and then... Uh kept going. The first eight years, I just kept pushing through and I made Albertville in 1992. And then I wanted to try different things. We're, we're, we're all pretty burned out by then. And so I, quit. I mean, retired, right? And okay. for about six or seven years. Then my coach, five years before Salt Lake, he, can, he convinced me to come back, started yeah. training, made Salt Lake City in uh, 2002, uh, quit again, uh, started my speaking business. And then seven years later, I did uh, yeah, Vancouver games I, in, in Salt Lake. I was 39. It had been 10 years since my previous one. Mm. And when I walked into the, the, the Olympic Village, I felt just like a dad going to top. <laughs> I mean, everybody, yeah. my kids age and, um, and everybody was asking me if I was a coach. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they look at me up and down. I said, come on, what are you coaching? I mean, they didn't even believe me. Yeah. They thought I was coach's dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic, man. I love that. Well, folks, in addition to that, Ruben mentioned that he is a speaker. He's been doing that since 2002. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, I used to sell copier in downtown okay. Houston. Uh, I've knocked on every door of every floor of every building in downtown Houston several times. And, uh, wow. and then about a, a month before the Salt Lake City Olympics, his little kid in my neighborhood, a uh, little fifth grader, he goes, hey, Ruben, when you come back from the Olympics, will you be my show and tell project at school? 
Oh, wow. I said, sure, why not? And believe it or not, I'm an introvert. And uh, <laughs> I figured, you know, show and tell, they have 20 kids in a classroom. They have to show something, right? So that's about five minutes left for me. So I took the sled, the helmet, the Olympic torch, because I was a torch bearer. I thought, no prisoners. I'm probably going to get my gold medal. I don't care if it's against a bunch of little kids. Yeah. I go to the principal, takes me to the, this big room. There's 200 kids. Whoa. And he got 45 minutes to have Adam. They turn into an assembly. They didn't tell me. I almost <laughs> right. I mean, I was so scared. I, and I said a little prayer. But God, what do I do now? And uh, right. Just tell me your story. Give me some pointers. I think I reached their dream. And yeah. afterwards, that. Principal went nuts. I mean, on the way to the car, you got a gift. You're brand pay. You need to do this for a living. I said, "Well, you get paid for show and tell." He goes, "No, it's a speaking profession, man. Don't you know?" I was clueless, but he was yeah. so in my face that three days later, I, I quit my job. I thought, if I can sell a copier, I can sell a Reuben too. And I just started hitting the phones, and that's mm. how I started business twenty years. Able to keep the lights on the whole time. So it's been a good, it's been a lot of fun. That kid nice, nice. Now, Reuben also mentioned that he is the author of. The Shortcut Book, which is a fabulous read, by the way, folks. Uh, definitely. And we'll be putting links in the show notes to all the stuff that we're referencing here today. So it, it will not be difficult to find that. But I will tell you that if you go on Ruben's website directly, you can buy all of Ruben's books and you can get them personally signed by Ruben. Now, that's yeah. pretty cool. Now, uh, let me warn you, though. I was a pre-med pre -med major in, mm -hmm. in college, uh, chemistry, biology. Uh, mm -hmm. But it wasn't in my heart. My parents just wanted me to have a doctor's son. And I'm nah. saving life by not being a doctor. You don't want me operating on you. But <laughs> uh, that pre-med, that, that that messed up my writing. I, I have doctor writing. Well, is that what <laughs> school going to see? Yeah, that, that says Ruben Gonzalez. Fair <laughs> warning. Okay. Well, we are warned. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Uh, you've done a TEDx talk? I mean, my goodness. Now, how long ago was that, Ruben? That was last year. Uh, it was my last first year. one. After mm -hmm. 20 years of speaking professionally, um, I, I did it. And it was called uh, the, the Power of Following the Leader. Because I was mm -hmm. always a hard head. I resisted my, my coach's advice. And I learned everything mm -hmm. the hard way. Uh, yeah. I broke my foot twice, my knee, my elbow, my hand, my thumb, a couple of ribs, learning how to luge. Mm -hmm. And my first coach, uh, my nickname was Bulldog, right? But he... <laughs> And, uh, yeah, no, you were a bulldog. You were only half bulldog. The other half was mule, okay? Listen <laughs> to me. You wouldn't have gotten hurt nearly as much. It took me three Olympics. Three Olympics. I was a hardhead for that long. Mm. I finally uh, realized, you know, uh, this next one, I'm 47. Uh, going to be before the Olympics. You know, it's, I got my back to the wall. I better listen. To it. And I, yeah. I promised myself I would listen to everything. Listen and apply, right? Right away. Mm -hmm. And incredibly, I started improving. I'm 60 mm. years old. I'm sliding better than ever. I'm making wow. a lot of probably make become the, the first person to can five Winter Olympics in five different decades. And wow. break a hundred year old record to become the oldest Winter Olympian in history. And nice. so, uh, but because I listen now and apply with what my coach, my mentor says, mm. uh, it's incredible. That's the shortcut. That's the shortcut to success. So mm. I got like a million views on that, on that, on that TED talk. And I'm yeah. like, well, maybe I'm not the only hardhead out there, you know, it's a bunch of hardheads. And so <laughs> yeah. it's a good idea. And so I, um, I wrote this book and it's a story about this young, young guy that, uh, he's just like, you know, based on me, right. That he won't listen mm -hmm. about to lose his job. And, you know, he, he learns and he changes his ways, but it's, it's a really fun story. And, um, I had written five how to books, basically five nonfiction, uh, personal development books before, but I'd never written a a fiction. This could be my first mm -hmm. one. 
And I didn't know how to do it. And so immediately I call a buddy of mine who'd written some and, and they'd done really well. Hey, you know, you want to do it together? Because I have no clue how to do fiction. Mm-hmm. And he says, ah, you know, uh, I, I'd love to, but I'm way too busy. Call me in two weeks. Uh, I got 45 minutes. I'll walk you through it. Well, mm. the interim, I read about 15, you know, who moved the cheese, the manager, all of them. I just plowed right through because I figured, okay, I got to find similarities. I got to have some good questions where I got my 45 minutes with it. And the night, the middle of the night, a couple of hours before I wake up, well, I call, I wake up in the middle of the night with the whole story figured out. It's like my subconscious had been percolating on it because I was so yeah. focused, right? And, uh, and I call him and say, okay, I got the. I got the story figured out, but I still can't write. He goes, well, you know how your friends talk, right? I go, yeah. Well, why don't you stick them with the story? You know, and, and, and mm. just make, make the character. So that's what I did. And and so Leah is in the story. And, oh, you know, cool. Friends are, are, are part of it. And it's kind of, a, kind of a fictional story based on truth with a bunch of really cool stories from, from all my high achiever friends. Sure. It's doing great. Okay. That's fantastic. So in addition to all those things, you're a coach as well, right? I do some coaching, but 99% of what I do is, is keynote. I, mean, mm-hmm. I don't even, I'm not even a trainer. I don't, uh, I don't have that. You know, it's a different skill set, right? To, okay, yes. You, yes. you guys do the, this, you guys do that. And it scares me to death. What if they don't listen? Then what do I do, right? <laughs> it's, 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 for me, it's easy. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, gosh, I, uh, I got in this share the stage with Zig Ziglar about 25 times over there. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot from him, right? How yeah. to, how to deal with things, right? And how to how sure. to react, plan ahead. And so I've always, you know, like I said, always look for the mentor or the coach, look for the expert and pick their brains and then take massive action. Sure. Now you have two other titles that I'm guessing you hold most dear to your heart, and that's husband and dad. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So our son, you were just telling me about all your kids, how they're all mm-hmm. graduating uh, from college and high school. I love how you got pictures. Of all oh, thank you. That, 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 I'm on a lot of podcasts. You're the first one that I've seen that's got that. I think it's stupid. I think it's awesome. Um, we have, uh, we homeschooled our kids. Uh, mm, our mm-hmm. son just graduated from high school uh, last week and he's mm. spending for the Air Force Academy. Uh, oh, yay. Uh, he's got a congressional nomination. He didn't get picked because mm. we live in Colorado and it's the toughest area. And so yeah. in, uh, the plan is to go to A&M or Purdue or something like that this coming uh, season, do mm. the ROTC route and then transfer. And, uh, oh, okay. So that's, that's Grayson. That's our son. And mm. our daughter, uh, Gabriella, she just, uh, well, last year she graduated from Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, mm-hmm. social work. And she works at, at, um, at a college in Wisconsin. She's getting married next month. So we're heading wow. to Juliet, Joliet to do the wedding thing. So we're very, very, mm. no, nothing screams wedding like Joliet, Illinois. I know. I know. Right. Next I'm to sorry. The- I'm thinking maximum security prison is what I'm thinking of Joliet. <laughs> so. <laughs> Sorry, no offense to your daughter at all. That's just what came to my mind. Yeah. Hey, you know, um, I know you like to read books too. I do. Um, I just read Rudy's book. Rudy, oh, yeah. My story. It's, and he was actually born there. Six oh, yeah. brothers, seven sisters, and they lived in a 750 square foot house until he was in high school. And then, wow. And then they bought a mansion. They, they upgraded to like 1,200 square feet. And both. <laughs> Houses are still there in Joliet, so I'm going to take a picture of them. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, man, that sounds like fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. So help us out a little bit. Take us back. Give us some of your backstory. And because, and the reason I'm asking for that is because I, 
I don't want to speak for everybody else who's watching or listening. I'm going to speak for me right now. And that is my first thought when I think Winter Olympics is not luge. Not that I haven't watched it. I have. I've seen you compete in the Olympics. Huh. So the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that's not the first thing that comes to mind. So if that's not the first thing that comes to my mind, how is it that you ended up? A, how, how did you become luge man? Okay. Now, do you, you mind if I tell a, a story? Oh, please. Okay. We love stories here. I'm an, I'm an unlikely Olympian, okay? Because you'd expect an Olympian to be strong and fast and powerful, and I'm not, okay? Uh, I'm like Rudy. I mean, a lot of heart, but no okay. body. I was always the last kid picked for PE. Uh, I was on the bench for kickball. I didn't even know they mm. had a bench. <laughs> so, so when I was 10, I was born in Argentina. Mm -hmm. My family to the U.S. Uh, when I was um, uh, six years old. We were in Queens, New York a couple of years, and then Houston most of my life, and I couldn't stand the heat. Moved to Colorado about 12 years. <laughs> um, so when I was 10, and I love to read adventure books. I read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Around the World in Eight Days, all these books about kids that led adventurous lives. I had them in Spanish. My parents bought them in English, brought in a tutor, and that's how I learned English. And hmm. I was always looking for my adventure. I wanted my life to be just like those books. And when I was mm. 10 years old, I'm watching the 72 Sapporo Winter Olympics on TV. And I was hooked. I thought, that's my adventure. That's what I want to do. Right? <laughs> but it was a pipe dream because I'm not even getting picked to play, you know, kickball, right? Right. And, and so, no way. And so I didn't believe. But I was mm. so fascinated about the Olympics that I kept reading everything about it, talking and follow my dad got fed up. He said, look, Ruben, you like to read. Why don't you read some biography, study the lives of great people. You figure out what works and what doesn't work in life because success leaves clues. I thought, wow, right. make all the mistakes by myself. So I started reading them. I liked them right away because they're true life adventure. And um, what I kept seeing over and over was perseverance, right? Mm. All these people were just a bunch of hardheads, right? I mean, they were... <laughs> And so, I, and my mom always called me a hardhead. I mean, for the longest time, cabeza dura. That means hardhead in Spanish, right? I thought cabeza dura was my middle name for the longest time. So, I was not saying that way. And so, uh, I thought maybe I have a little bit of what it takes. Mm -hmm. And at 12 years old, I 12, I make it, made a decision in my life. And success, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, sooner or later, you get mad and you get tired of getting knocked down. You have that rocky moment. You know, he's like, I ain't going down no more. The, mu the right. music starts playing. You know, something's mm -hmm. going to happen. And, right. and I had that moment. And I said, from today on, any. By high mm. school, my nickname was Bulldog because I was so tenacious, right? Kids mm. saw me. And so now uh, I'm on the soccer team in high school. I played soccer all my life. Me I, too. I, I was, you did. Oh, what, did. what position were you? Well, when I was in high school, I was a midfielder. Really? Ooh, you ran yeah. a lot. Yeah. Oh, Crazy. my gosh. Yes. I wasn't center mid, but I, I, Ran a ton, yes. Yeah, uh, now, yeah. as I got when I got into college, I be, I was a goalkeeper. No, that's the hardest position. No, I I always thought so, but oh no, it is. It not is. everybody it's agreed it. with me. <laughs> well, uh, I, ours was uh, Houston Baptist University. Uh, oh yeah, NCA. I went to uh, Southwest Baptist University. Really, and mm -hmm. where in Kansas City? Uh, Bolivar, Missouri, which okay. is Southwest Missouri, is close to Springfield. Okay, all right. So we played mostly uh, schools in in. Uh, Louisiana and in Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, one year we drove all the way up here, Colorado Springs, played Air Force Academy and oh, wow. mines, and they put us up in this little cabin in the woods. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's no mosquitoes here. It's not hot and humid, pretty. I won't live here. And that's when I bought that drink. I mean, one yes. Uh, so I was a walk on. Um, I got to play. Coach said, you only get to play if we're winning by two goals because you're a threat to our own team. I mean, that's what he said. 
And I became the root of that team. And yeah. I would willing to do anything just to not get my new dream, right? Mm-hmm. I part of that team. It felt good. And so, yeah. uh, so around that time, 1984, I'm watching the Olympics. And this is 11 years after I watched them. And, mm-hmm. and I see Scott Hamilton, the figure skater, won mm-hmm. the gold medal. He's yeah. about five foot one, weighs 110 pounds, soaking wet. He gave me hope. Everything yeah. in my head. I thought if that little guy can win, I can always play. I'll be the next one no matter what. It's a done deal. I just got to find a sport, right? And uh, now I had a goal. It went from being a pipe dream to a goal, but it's a goal mm-hmm. with a deadline, right? Four years, either in or out. So that gives you urgency, no time to waste. Sure. But went to the library, got a big book about the Olympics, and I was looking through all the summer sports. And it took me five minutes to realize you got to be Superman to do anything. There's no way, right? Mm-hmm. And I got down. And then I started looking at the winter sports, and it's like the analytical side of my brain woke up. And I thought, wait a minute. I'm about to put together a plan for the next four years. Probably would make sense to base the plan on my strengths. My strengths not athleticism. My strengths perseverance. I'm bulldog, right? So mm-hmm. I need to find a sport that's so tough. A sport's got so many broken bones in it. There'd be lots of quitters, right? Okay. <laughs> Quit. I'll ride the attrition rate all the way to the top. So now I'm looking for tough sports. Ski jump, bobsled. Yep. Right. Well, I lived in Houston, Texas. I never skipped ski. <laughs> bobsled. We're going to fight three other nuts. They want to do the bobsled. And you got to go mm-hmm. to Jamaica for that. And so yeah. uh, have you had Devin, Devin Harris on your show? Mm-mm. Oh, I'll hook you up. He's one of the original uh, uh, Jamaican bobsled. He, he oh, very good. cool. Yeah. So, um, anyways. So forget bobsled. And that left the luge. And mm-hmm. I thought, that's, I can do that one by myself. And I had a little, I'd never seen it on TV. If I'd actually seen it, I would never have done it. That nuts. I had a picture of a guy in a luge. I thought that looks tough enough. Uh, that's just, and I didn't know where the track was. So my dad always said, if you have to cross a minefield, make sense to follow somebody's already crossed it, right? Find the yeah. expert. Right? So, okay, well, no one in Houston know where this track is. Sports Illustrated. It's their job to know. So I wrote him a letter. Where do you go mm-hmm. learn how to have a luge? Sign Ruben. <laughs> they actually wrote back. It was a late wow. class before, right? And um, I call late in class. I'm an athlete here in Houston. I want to learn how to lose. I'll be in the Olympics in four years. Will you help me? And the guy started laughing. He said, you're too old, <laughs> man. Well, I mean, you should have 10 years experience. There's no way. Well, I wouldn't hang up. I knew that hanging mm-hmm. up the phone's not an option. That would have been the end of the dream. I just kept talking. And finally, yeah, he gets fed up. He says, we got a camp coming up in a couple of weeks. Be there. Uh, but mm. before you come, you didn't know two things. Number one, you want to do it at your age? You want to do it just four years? Brutal. Nine out of ten people quit. When he said that, I started smiling. I thought, <laughs> my plan is awesome. Yeah. Is he goes, expect to break some bugs. And I say, great, great. And he gets real quiet. Bro. What's wrong <laughs> with you, man? Just told you going to break some bugs. Are you nuts? Because I hope it's ten times harder what you tell him. I hope it's a hundred times harder. The harder it is, the easier it is for me. Because I'm not a quitter. I'm bull. Mm-hmm. I was praying that the... Germans would quit, okay? Because they win all the time. But I didn't work <laughs> hard enough. <laughs> they pick up their medals. They didn't get excited because they got so many medals. And um, anyway, so I went a couple of months after I saw Scott Hamilton. I'm in Lake Placid, uh, down, walking down Main Street, looking for the Olympic Training Center. And that afternoon, we're up at the track, and we're going to train on wheels from the half-mile point. 50, mm-hmm. 55 miles an hour on a wheeled sled uh, over concrete because there's no ice. Uh, all we're wearing is tennis shoes, shorts, and a t-shirt, okay? And, wow. And a helmet, you know, it makes the lawyers happy. But the helmet's just, <laughs> helmet's just for decoration, right? It makes, <laughs> and so they put me in a class with 15 guys every, every day, a couple of us showing up. 
money mm. and they had all these excuses, right? It's too expensive. It's too far away. I miss my family. I don't like it. I didn't like it either. I mean, I was killing myself out there. But right. I knew the luge, I realized the luge is the vehicle, okay? The Olympic mm -hmm. is the dream. Okay, you focus on the dream, right? Thank God at least there's a vehicle. I mean, ping pong would have been a whole lot more fun, and I, uh, but I'm not good enough for ping pong. Soccer, <laughs> obviously, right? It's so, you better hang out with this little. And I white knuckled it for five years, okay? I mm. hate it sporting itself. And it wasn't until five years ago, uh, I went back at 55, took a few runs, and um, I was mentally stronger, right? And I was yeah. a little bit more coachable. And... And uh, my coach said, I just went just on a whim, just for fun, right? I went to Calgary to see if I could even handle the G's. You pull six G's on some of the curves. And wow. coach said, you know, you get yourself a decent sled. You got a shot in Beijing. Really? Hmm. I didn't want him to tell me a percentage, right? Because that, that hmm. would have messed up. I mean, if I don't do okay. anything, it's 0%, right? If you give it all you got, then, you know, come, the more you commit, the bigger the, the probability, right? Just okay. focus if possible on something one. Well, COVID, you know, came, messed up my mm. business pretty much and I couldn't afford yeah. to train. And, but I see it as a guide thing because the next one's going to be in Cortina, Milan slash Cortina d'Ampezzo in Italy. And mm. I was sick about Beijing for a few days, but then I realized, you know what? I'd rather eat pasta and milk in Italy than an egg roll in China. All right. <laughs> and I'll be older and it'll make the story better. So, so, you know, got a new sled, got my old one over there, my new one. I'm sliding better than ever, more consistently. And uh, so this next, this next uh, season, uh, take a couple of hundred runs at different tracks just to get myself, you know, into form. And then the last two seasons, uh, you're competing in the World Cup circuit. So think mm -hmm. uh, like NASCAR or Formula One, right? It's like a traveling sure. circuit. You all the tracks to race and you get points. And yeah. about a month before the Olympics, they tally up that season and a half before and uh, top 35 get to go and 36 no. punches on. And so I'm, uh, you know, I do one more. If you see a guy at the opening ceremonies of, of, uh, of the Milan Olympics uh, on a walker like this, let's me, okay? They <laughs> 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 lift the guy, put him on the sled, give him a shove, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. And uh, whenever I run into an older person that looks active, I, you know, I ask them, you know, hey, how old are you? The lady in the, in the post office said the other day, I mean, she was in her 70s. And I heard her talk as she was still competing in equestrian and mm. jumps and stuff in her 70s. Yeah. So I asked, I talked to her, I just told her about what I was trying to do. He's like, oh, man, you're, you're a young kid, man. You can do it. <laughs> I didn't. That excites me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So you've been in four different Olympics in four different decades. What did you do? I mean, besides the training that was involved, what did you do in between? Because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but my suspicion is that there's not a lot of sponsorships out there for Luge Man. No. And, you know, sponsorships, you have to understand. And I tell this to athletes, you know, they, they'll ask me, you know, how do you get a sponsor? I said, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> People ask me, they would ask me, like, you, when you do a QA, and a I uh, do a Q&A after a keynote. And yeah. lots of times they ask, who's your sponsor? Coke, Pepsi, Nike? I said, no, my, mine are Visa MasterCard, <laughs> my own. Right, right. And that's the truth for 95% of the athletes, even at Olympic, yeah. because it's an investment, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you sponsor the one you think is going to win, and it's an investment. If they win, then they get popular, and then, yeah. boy, you can make millions off of it. Yeah. Sure. With me, who knows? You know, I'm actually, uh, now that I'm going for this, oldest winter Olympian in history. 
that's kind of sexy, you know, it's got, yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm actually contacting uh, companies, big fortune 500 companies that sell stuff to baby boomer. And mm -hmm. say, I'm not looking for sponsorship, but my story can inspire your people. You know, why don't you bring me into speak? You know, I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd, try, I'd do a trade, you know, uh, a business thing instead of a handout. I don't like the sponsorship. Oh, yeah. But, um, but, but who knows? And if, might even get a movie after that because all of a sudden it's, you know, Timex, you know, keeps on taking, licking it and, and keep, how's it go? Uh, takes, takes a licking and keeps on thinking, right? That's a right. Timex from when we were right, kids. Right, right. Oh, uh, yeah. What else? Depends diapers. That might be a good opportunity. Good be. Good be. Uh, Geritol. Uh, no, mm -hmm. that might make the cover of AARP. But, um, you might. But, but mainly it's just showing people, inspiring people, all mm -hmm. of that don't use your age as an excuse, you know? Yeah. Uh, whether you don't, don't tell yourself I'm too young and don't tell yourself I'm too old, just go mm -hmm. for it and you make your life an adventure. Right. Well, it's, it's interesting how you put it that way, you know, to go for it and see what happens. Cause that, that leads me into another question I want to talk to you about. Um, and it's something we, we briefly touched on before we started recording. Uh, Ruben it is my long held belief that if we want to be the absolute best at whatever it is that we're doing, it requires us to fail because oh, yeah. failing's the only way we learn the only yeah. way. I mean, and you're living proof of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, um, the way the way you prepare your steels, your steel runners, right for for the luge. So our runners they're about four feet long and they're arched, okay, like the bottom of a rocky. And so okay. it's only about four inches, four inches of the, that's actually touching the ice on each runner. You're basically laying on a skate, okay. Yeah, and you torque your body to to to, to you know, make it turn, right? But um, at the beginning of the season, we have fairly sharp steels. Now, it's not sharp where it's going to cut your finger, but it's a sharp like a butter knife, okay? So okay. A sharp steel, it has good traction, right? You don't slip and slide as much. And so uh, it's safe, but it's slow because it eats to the ice. As the season uh, progresses, we, we slowly uh, round our steels, right? And you're trading mm -hmm. traction for speed. And you keep going until you start crashing and you back it off a bit. And okay. so that, you're looking for that failure point. Because you want to make sure, because it's the only sport that's timed to the one one thousandth of a second. So everything. Mm. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, you have to put yourself. So I asked coach, you know, hey, what, what tracks do you think we would work on? You know, this, uh, I figure we'll do four different tracks. Well, Whistler's the fastest one. It's over 90 miles an hour. We got to do that one. We'll probably wow. do that one for fourth place. Uh, mm -hmm. And then there's one, Koenigsee in, in Germany. It's got really tight curves. So I, that, you know, that's uh, uh, one to work on that. And then um, uh, Eagles and right outside of Innsbruck, Austria, that one it has, it, it's kind of a gliding track, right? Which is the opposite of, and so that's good too, right? Because you want to learn, you know, or remember how to do things uh, from all. And then probably Park City, because it's so close by, you know, Park City is a good fast track too, and it's got mm -hmm. a little bit of everything. And so um, you lay out a game plan and, and uh, walk the track with coach, even if you've been to the track. You know, the last 10 years, you walk the track, literally slipping and sliding all the way down, <laughs> saying, okay, here you want to enter this curve no more than three inches from the left wall, okay? And up on the curve over there, you see the expansion joint there, give it about a which, uh, zero is no steering and 10 is cranking it with all you got. A seven, okay. and then the, it's a really long curve. If you don't do anything, you'll dip in the bottom, right? Kind of like Jamaican bobsledders did in the yeah. crash, right? Yeah. Remember, I went up and down, up and down, yeah. right? because they didn't, you know, they entered late, which throws you, uh, you don't make a correction, you know, to get yourself back into a good, hold it up in the middle and then take it out with everything you got for a major channel, you're a little 
And so we're writing everything down, right? And we're looking for the bump. They always, at, at a race, they always put, the home team gets to put a bump somewhere. It's usually at the exit of a tough, between, between two tough curves. And it's just a little bump for when you go, if you, if you go straight and you're loose, you know, your legs will pop up a little bit, but you're fine. But if you come in at an angle, you're just going to go into a skid and might even crash. But they don't tell Ooh. anybody. You got to do your due diligence. Everybody's walking in the track on the, hey, coach, Ruben, look, there it is. We found it. And now we know where it is and we prepare <laughs> mentally, all right? But we mm -hmm. don't tell anybody else, right? <laughs> do their own due diligence, all right? Right, right. So for you sure. lay out a plan and then you execute and mm -hmm. hopefully do a good job. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, when I was doing my research for the interview, Ruben, I saw something peculiar. Do you actually have a screenplay that you're shopping right now to turn into a movie? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you said screen, my brain went to screensaver. Oh, so no, no, no. A screenplay. Screenplay, yeah. I spoke for a group in Austin about six or seven years ago, a bunch of sales, uh, IT sales people. Mm -hmm. and, and one of their BPs was like a frustrated writer. And <laughs> we're having dinner. He sat next to me. And he, he said, yeah, I hate my job. I make a ton of money, but I got golden. I can't leave this place. And he was stuck. But he wanted to be a writer. That was his dream. And he said, after hearing your story, I feel like a fraud, right? I feel like mm. I'm wasting my life. I want to write the book. And how come? How come there's not a, a movie about you? As I don't know. People ask me that sometimes. Uh, well, there needs to be one. And I'd like to write the screenplay. And so he wrote a screenplay. But the guy, you know, he was already, he was a little uh, jaded and negative, mm. you know? So it was kind of dark, right? But okay. it was a song. And then I rewrote it. And so it's a little better now, probably. But my dream would be the guy that did Miracle, and mm. he did, um, uh, McFarland USA about the runners. Remember, mm -hmm. and he did uh, the rookie. He did a bunch. He did a bunch of sports movie. That's what he does, right? He mm. loves the underdog stories. Uh, he did uh, Vince Papali one, Invincible. Great story. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, uh, so I've sent him some stuff. And my dream is that you know maybe. When I make my fist one, hopefully mm -hmm. you want to do it, you know, because yeah. it's, it's almost like a lottery. Number one, they got to make it, right? Number yeah. two, actually, number one, yeah, they got to make it. Number two, it's got to be good, right? I mean, right. if it's a lousy movie, I'd rather have no movie. Exactly, yeah. I'm not in it, in it for the fame. I'm just in it for, you know, hey, if I get a movie, the phone's going to be, that's great for marketing. I mean, I don't even have to sure. call it anymore, right? Yeah. <laughs> my that's right. So, um, anyway, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great. And, uh, uh, the second half I'm looking at my, look, I'm going to show you, I'm, I love, working. yeah, yeah. That's just a few of my books there. See? Oh yeah. I got my, uh, digging it like a champion today up there. See mm -hmm. that one we flag and right there, a little red, black, white, and blue. Yep. My, the one under the Salt Lake City Olympics is my Bruce and that's my old clunker. And so anyways, and see how I have another, another. A Norwegian flag here mm -hmm. because the first three Olympics, it was going to be the top 50 men would get to go. Top 50, 51 watched it on TV. But they keep adding sports and it's turning into the X Games, but they want to keep it at 3,000 athletes. There's less slots per sport. Oh, so awesome. Vancouver, my fourth was the top 40 got to go. And I was mm -hmm. about 45 in the world all the time. Uh, so it was going to be a stretch. I mean, that's what, yeah. what really prompted me to better listen to coach. <laughs> well, this next <laughs> one. Uh, we don't know yet. They're going to decide late this summer, but this next one is either going to be 35 or 30, right? It keeps, mm. Thank God that I'm getting better. But mm -hmm. uh, 
But on the way to competing for the Vancouver Olympics, it would be top 40. At the end of qualification, I was number two. Okay. I didn't qualify. Mm. And that, this was in December, but I, February is the Olympics. So January, I went to Park City and just training there, getting myself ready. Because Park City is the second fastest track and Vancouver wants to be the fastest. So I, got, I got to prepare myself, be ready if there's an opportunity. Hey, somebody get an appendicitis. Okay? That puts, now I'm at 41. And somebody breaks a leg. Now I'm top 40. Right? <laughs> <laughs> going off in my head. So preparing myself if there's an opportunity. And three weeks before the Olympics, I get this call. And they say, mate, Norway had three guys in the top 40, but Norway goes to win. Okay, they won 5 million people in Norway, but they won more Winter Olympic medals than any country in the world. They're serious. And yeah. so they had three guys, but Norway will only send you the top 20. So I got bumped up to 39 and I got to go. At the wow. opening ceremonies, I wanted to carry Norwegian flag, man. They helped me more than anybody, right? <laughs> I got Norwegian flags all over, so I don't get a fat head. I'm a, there you I'm go. a four-time Olympian. Thank mm -hmm. you, Jeffrey. For sure. What what got you into speaking? Well, this kid, you know, I did show and tell. This kid's uh, this mm -hmm. was right before the Salt Lake City Olympics, and I thought it was going to be show and tell. And uh, I ended up speaking. That what actually happened was I went. There's 200 kids there. The whole fourth grade classroom. And mm -hmm. I spoke for them. I didn't die or anything. It actually had right. months. Good, right? Um, what I realized was that dynamic. You're speaking to a bunch of people. It's just mm -hmm. like one-on-one, -on -one, right? Because sure. they don't interrupt. That's why I'm not a trainer. Because trainer, you got a bunch of people talking at you. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and so af afterwards, I'm packing it up to leave. And the teachers, they surrounded me. And they go, what do we have to do to get you to stick around another hour? Uh, we'll mm -hmm. pull the, the fifth graders out of here. I mean, I spoke to the fifth. I'll pull the fourth grader out of here. Uh, they got to hear to this. I said, hey, bring them on. That was actually kind of fun. Second time around, I was a little bit better. And now the car, you know, the principal, you know, it's like a two by four, right? And so I just finished the Salt Lake City only. I decided, you know, I got $50,000 in credit card debt from the, and I go into, and a one-year-old dog. And I decided to go um, quit my job, right? <laughs> because I thought if I can sell a copier, I can sell a Ruben too. So I don't recommend my approach, all right? I mean, but I did it and I worked like crazy, but you know, I made it happen. But February is the Olympics, March, April, May, I'm living the dream. I'm speaking in schools all over Houston, but if the summer's going to be dead, right? It was cool. And so June, July, August, zero income. Okay. Mm -hmm. By August, we're three months behind in our, in our house payment, almost lost the house, shot my credit and I'm top of the world in, in, in February. Food stamps in August. Okay. I mean, uh, I'm uh, home, right? And mm -hmm. that's what it took for this hard head to realize mm -hmm. wait a minute, I tell everybody to find a coach or a mentor. I'm not even taking my own advice. I can tell stories, but I don't know how to build this business. And mm -hmm. so I found a guy, a uh, successful speaker in Houston, and he actually had sold copiers too. And mm. he uh, agreed to meet with me once a month for one hour. He says, You got me for one hour, and you can ask me whatever you want. You're smart. You bring a pad with a bunch of questions. And at the end, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you homework. Okay. If we mm -hmm. ever meet and you haven't done last month's homework, oh, okay. Cause I don't want, you know, eternal learners. I, want, I said, mm. that's fine. I'll, I'll make you look good. I'll be like, I mean, you tell me I got to shave my head, wear lipstick to make this thing happen. We'll do it right now. But I can't buy you lunch. <laughs> I'm on food stamp. Okay. So this is what we're going to do. We'll go to Starbucks. You can have anything on the menu as long as it's coffee of the day. All right. Put as much sugar in as you want. And he laughed. <laughs> all right, fine. 
But the first time we meet, and this guy's a tough, mean guy, right? Because all my coaches used to be that way to get through my hard head. This guy's got this Sopranos vibe. He just still scares me sometimes. <laughs> and he says, uh, first time we sit down, he goes, first thing out of his mouth, I don't care if you're a 10 time Olympian, unless you write a book, no one's going to take you seriously because authors, since you're the authority of a subject, you wrote the book on it. It's a, it's a card that's a business card that nobody throws away. I started thinking this guy must have a publishing company, right? I started getting my guard up. And mm. that's all I'm saying. I, I can't make, I, I can't write a book. I mean, I made C's in English. I made C's everything. And my parents, they celebrated I brought a seat. And he said, you've got a great story, all right? You write it down like you're telling your best friend. That kind of English, like a big old long letter. Tell your mm -hmm. story. And then we're going to give it to some A students that clean it up for you. That's just grammar. I thought, wow, I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's called editing, okay? So shut up and sit down. I mean, just you know, cross the head. But I had all these, that's the beauty of having a cultural mentor, guys, all right? Mm -hmm. We have all these logical reasons why it won't happen, right? I can't do this. I made C's in English. Watch. And then she piece of cake just finds some A's students. What's your next problem? And so now, no matter what I'm going to do, I find the mentor ahead of time. And it saves mm. me so much time and so much breathing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Mentors and coaches, uh, which I distinguish between the two. They're, they do very yeah. different things. They are. Um, right. they're, they're very, very helpful. They can help. They cut down the learning curve. Absolutely. They save you time. For sure. Uh, I always wanted to run with the bulls in Spain. And, <laughs> uh, and then um, the, after the Vancouver Olympics, finally decided, no, I went with a friend. But before I went, I, I wrote, I, I read three books about Pamplona, right? That's the town over there. Where they run. I, I read three books and I called one of the authors who run it for about 20 years. And I said, hey, I need some coaching. All right. I mean, I want the Pamplona experience. I don't want any extra hold in my body. All right. Right. <laughs> And so he said, don't stand in the middle. Let me don't start at the beginning. They're too fresh. It's uphill. Uh, you'll die. It's really narrow there. Mm -hmm. uh, don't stand at the end when you're going into the, the bull ring. Because again, it's too narrow there. You, okay, great. Don't stand in the middle. There's a curve there. And they all smash into the curve and, uh, you know, take everybody down like, like dominoes. And so, don't, so where do I stand? He goes, you go 50 yards past the curve. And it's a curve that goes to the right. Okay? Mm -hmm. So he says, go 50 yards past that on the right side. And hopefully the momentum will send the bulls to the left side and they'll take out everybody that's along that wall and, um, you know, and they'll pass you about 10 feet away, but there's no guarantees. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they hit the wall. If they're together, the bull, you know, they're a hurting animal, right? So they, they're, they're cool if they're together. But when one right. of them gets separated, he becomes like a wild tiger. He's after everybody, right? Oh. So, so you don't know. He said, <laughs> um, if you fall down, the bulls are short-sighted. You fall down, stay down. They'll think you're a boulder. They hop right over you. They won't even touch you. You stand up, pow. And he mm. said, uh, you know how they're all dressed in white and have the red bandana and the red sash? Just don't double not the sash. You catch a horn on your sash, you'll be hitting your head on the cobblestones the whole way down. That's the worst way to see Spain. So I'm right. I'm, these are all things I never thought of, right? Right. He said, anybody touches, he says, watch out for the drunks, okay? They're worse than the bull. 90%, mm. there's 3,000 people. 90% of them are roaring drunk because liquid courage. And right. so he says, don't drink before and, and watch out for them, okay? Anybody touches you, make room, okay? Because they will grab you and use you as a shield and they won't even yeah. remember it afterwards because it was all adrenaline, right? And so he just apologize <laughs> later. So a little, you know, 15 minute call with this guy, he, you know, potentially saved my life, right? Right. He told me that I didn't even think. You don't know what you don't know. What you don't know that it hurt you. <laughs> 
Right, so, for sure. Watch it, follow those guys. You want to start a business? Follow John. <laughs> Tell you the pitfalls, things you never even thought of, but he, you know, he's been yeah. there. Yeah, I might not be able to tell you everything to do, but I can tell you an awful lot of what not to do. <laughs> and that, honestly, is sometimes more valuable. Sure, absolutely. So I'm curious. And when I, when I was doing research, I, I noticed on your website, you got to go all the way to the right. And then you got to go to the drop down. It's the last thing on there. Adventure trips. OK, you got to tell us about these adventure trips because these <laughs> sound actually really cool. I've been on a ton, a ton of podcasts and radio interviews, and no one's ever asked me. <laughs> That's great. Wow. Um, yeah. So when we wanted to do, um, the other thing I wanted to do always, climb Kilimanjaro, right? I, oh, yeah. I, I have a friend who's done that. Is that right? Yeah, okay. she did. I always wanted to do that. And so that was an Ernest Hemingway. Put that idea and mm. Bulls, put those ideas in my head. He's got a book yeah. called or a story called uh, uh, The Snows of Kilimanjaro. It's mm -hmm. the highest mountain in Africa. It's one of the seven summits, and mm -hmm. it's a mile higher than any any uh, mountain in the Rocky Mountain. It's it's like wow. nineteen thousand nineteen thousand feet, and um, half the half of the oxygen that you have at at sea level. And so wow. I call I call a guy, you know, call, I call the expert, right? Call Dean right. Dean Cardinal. He's uh you know he's climbed it hundreds of times, taking people up. Mm. He's climbed Everest. I figured, okay, this guy can do it. Blind and so we put together a group. That's where I got the idea of these adventure. Put together a mm -hmm. group, about 14 people, and it was great. I mean, actually, made, made some great friends there mm -hmm. uh, from, from that trip because these were all people I didn't know. And um, we all made it. There was even a guy in his 70s that made it to the top. Wow. Nervous, so tired of my life. Takes five days, it's about 40 miles of climbing. Mm -hmm. Even with these quarters. And so um, it was very, very tough, especially the last day. But... Yeah. We just followed the leader. I mean, we told Dean said at the trailhead, right? He said, we just come back from a, like a photo safari, a couple of days of, of, of sightseeing, you know, in Africa. And then, and then uh, the next, okay, now we're at the trailhead. And his, he got really serious, right? And he said, mm -hmm. okay, this is the most underestimated mountain in the world. Okay. Cause it's a walk up. It's not a technical, it's, it's just like, it's a hike. Okay. It's okay. a five day hike. It's like, it's like climbing up staircase is three miles long. That's what it's been compared to. And mm. so he said, look, for the next five days, do everything I do, okay? You step where I step. You sit when I sit. You drink when I drink. You pee when I pee, okay? <laughs> and if anything bugs you, okay, anything, don't wait till it's a pain. If it's a right. discomfort, let me know because things get really bad really quickly at altitude, all right? Mm -hmm. So but I've seen it all, squeezing the butt. And yeah. so we, we climbed and we made it to, to the top and spent about 20 minutes, you know, <laughs> taking pictures up top and then yeah. walk, walk our way down. And on the way down, my even though I had clipped my toenails as short as I'd ever clipped them before, I guess my feet were kind of bumping against the the, the shoe, right? Oh. And after a couple of hours, um, it's hurting, right? But mm. hey, I'm a four-time Olympian. I can handle right. things. Keep going. Half an hour later, I'm seeing stars, right? So I tell mm. me, and he says, when did it start hurting? Oh, about three hours ago. And he let me have it. You fool. Mm. You're going to lose a bunch of toenails now. They don't take a year to grow. You're going to be miserable for a year. And he was right. I mean, if I had just listened to him, he says, all you had to do, and this guy's, if you're going to go climb any mountain, that's the coming down, that's the tough part. And by the way, mm. you know, descent is what, when most people get hurt because they, mm. they, they stop focusing. They say, okay, it's over. Well, on the way down, they make all the mistakes. They twist ankles. They mm. do stupid stuff like I did. Well, he's, all you have to do is you tighten your shoelaces. 
keep the foot from doing this. All you do mm. is tighten the shoelaces over the front of your boot and and done, right? Fix. Mm. If I had done that too, yeah, it's fine. I learned us. Got to listen <laughs> to the coach. For sure. And so that's part sure. of the adventures, right? And so we do, I, I focus mostly on my speed business, mm-hmm. but once in a while, we'll get a group together and we'll do some fun stuff. Uh, one time we took it to uh, Park City, uh, rode bobsleds, do, uh, did uh, mm. biathlon, mm. a bunch of cool stuff over there. And um, it was great. You know, it's a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in to part one of my conversation with Ruben Gonzalez. Part two and the conclusion of that conversation is coming up in the very next episode. So I hope you check that out as well because Ruben is an amazing guy. I love to hear him talk and I love his enthusiasm. And I think you've probably enjoyed it as well. As always, don't forget, life is all about relationships. Bye. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.